0: Hello there, woman beings, and welcome to another episode of The Woman Being Podcast. Yes! The Woman Being Podcast. We're here to cast on the pod. My name is Emma, and I'm here today with the lovely (gasps) Kellyanne. Hello, everyone. And the amazing Kelly. Hello, everyone. Yes. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Everyone who's here to come together, join hands, and commiserate over missionary work that's what we're talking about today it's a spicy topic we all have varying experiences with missionary work from our various evangelical backgrounds and i'm willing to bet that some of y'all do too so let's talk let's gather around the very small fire in front of us if you're not watching this visually we do have a candle (laughs) and we're going to discuss reflect and regret (laughs) on on, um, our past as missionaries. So let's just dive right in. This is Woman Being, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have
1: the freedom to change our minds without expectation or judgment. We will
2: hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of
0: feminine. So, ladies, Emma, missionary—not oh. the position, but the <laughs> well, sometimes that the, too. Yeah, the maybe the vocation, <laughs> yes, uh, and the, the two-week trip. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the short-term missionary, the long-term missionary. Mm. Um, we have all experienced missionary work. Mm-hmm. We have all been in the position of missionaries. <laughs> I know. It's I, all I'm thinking about is sex now. So <laughs> we've, we've all been
1: in the missionary position. Yeah. Wink.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just give give the people some context, where we're all coming from, uh, what kind of missionary experience we've had. In fact, I'll just start. Mm-hmm. I um, did a couple of short-term missions trips in high school through my church, and became very passionate about missionary work during that time. I then went on after college to um, join a organization called Adventures and Missions, and they have a program called The World Race, which maybe some of y'all have heard of. It's like Kind of popular, but kind of not (laughs) like kind of hit or miss on who's heard of this, but it's a missions organization based out of Georgia and they send people around the world for a whole year. Well, 11 months, but, you know, same thing. And you go to a different country every month. To be a missionary in that country for that month, you partner with different organizations, sometimes we would partner with like YWAM or IHOP. Um, We would also just partner with local churches or other like, like smaller, more grassroots organizations. And we just traveled the world for an entire year. And that was Something I did. (laughs) Since then, I have not done any other mission work, Uh, but that's where I'm coming from. Where are y'all coming from? That's a great question, Emma. I also, I actually only
1: did one missions experience in high school, aside from like local missions type stuff where
0: it's like, oh, yes, I did do some local missions too.
1: So local missions is a part of this, but um, I did a trip to Jamaica in high school Mm. and Then after I graduated college, I heard the call of God and (laughs) opted to become a full-time missionary with um, Crew. Become a missionary. (laughs) It was was like that. Yeah, exactly that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I became a full-time missionary for Crew, which is formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, Problematic name. I worked specifically Mm -hmm. with the Jesus Film Project um, on, I guess, like on their media team or as a media person. Yeah, have always, I think probably from a very young age, have always felt felt a very positive view of missions. My grandparents were missionaries in Israel, Palestine. My uh, aunt and uncle, they lived in Pakistan for like 10 years as medical missionaries. And um, my grandfather on my dad's side was a part of the Peace Corps for a long time, and he did a ton of missions. And then my dad also has done a lot of Like, um, long-term mission trips, like, month, month and a half. I don't know if you call it long-term, but longer Mm. missions trips. Um, he's been... More than a week. (laughs) Yeah, he's been to North Korea, actually. Whoa. Um, yeah, that was... That's fascinating. So wild at the time. Yeah, so definitely missions is a very big family heritage piece for me, in addition to kind of, like, the, the typical evangelical bent towards missions, um... And so when, you know, when I got the call and was going to fulfill my destiny as a filmmaker with the missions field, it just felt right. Yeah. How about you, Kel?
2: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, similar to both of you, I did do a lot of like local missions work in growing up. Um, I actually had a very missions forward church that I attended from the time I was very, very young um, and so missions was kind of like a part of what mm. we did. We supported missionaries. We had multiple missionaries that we supported. one of my mentors um, and like almost like grandmother figure Sally, she led missions trips all over the world like for 30 plus years up into her mid 80s um, and so that was like, just a part of my upbringing. Uh, yeah. And so that was like growing up. But then when I actually moved away and started attending the SSM, which is Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, I did um, three missions trips with them as a part of the schooling program. And it's probably some of the most extreme missions experience well maybe not most extreme but as far as like spiritual expectations and like performance it was very extreme my first year i went to the philippines second year i went to jamaica and then the third year i went to la for this big event that lou ingall put on i remember that was that the what was that called i forget what it was called the, the, the Jesus, call, the call yes yeah oh my gosh so i remember that as third years it was well the whole school actually um Bill Johnson decided that we were not going to our international missions trips that year. All the students were going to L.A. to the call to support Lou Ingall's vision.
1: I remember when that happened.
2: It, it, yeah, it was pretty wild. Honestly, I wish I would have gone abroad, but whatever. It's fine. So that's my experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> <laughs> thinking back on um, – all of that and like kind of the 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 push towards going on missions mm-hmm. and towards like getting young people out there. It's actually very interesting to me to hear that like Bill Johnson was like, We're not gonna go abroad mm-hmm. this year, we're gonna go to LA instead. Yeah. And essentially fill seats at something. Yeah. Uh, so that it looks like there's more people there well, is we what were, it feels like to supposedly, me. Supposedly, we were mm-hmm.
2: there to help bring the fire of God. The fire, right? yes, of
0: course. So sorry, but how could I forget? really, it
2: was like, oh, you're helping facilitate things. Yeah. Like, you are – we had jobs, like, yeah. around
0: the auditorium. So they get free labor. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's what yeah. we were
0: doing. That is fascinating. Yeah. In a lot of ways, missionary work is giving free labor. You get to pay mm-hmm. to work. yeah. Um, essentially you get to pay to volunteer, Mm -hmm. uh, or get other people to pay for you to volunteer, Mm -hmm. which is fascinating. I definitely remember there being a culture at my church in high school that we did missionary work in a better way than Mm -hmm. others. So it was very like we went to the same place every year. We were we went to Nicaragua always. That was just where okay. we went. My pastor had like a 10 year plus relationship with people in Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. He had women that were there who he had met when they were like like he and his wife had met when they were kids who were now adults who he considered like daughters to him. Wow. Like very close relationships and To us, it was, like, this is the right way to do it Mm -hmm. because we're investing in this one group, whereas other people, like, go to all sorts of other different places. Yeah. And it's, like, they just, like, go for a week and then they never go back. Mm. Or, like, they just kind of, like, flippantly, like, build a house for some reason, even though they have no construction experience whatsoever. And then they leave. Yeah. Uh, And so that was, like, the mentality around it at my church, which was fascinating. Mm. What did y'all hear at church? <laughs> no, I mean, my my
1: local church had a similar relationship with um, a children's home in Jamaica.
0: Mm. And that was
1: the one I went to. I think it was junior year of high school. So 2011, 2012 that we went. And they would go every year. They'd send like a group of people from the church to this children's home, which was kind of a collection of, you know, Some of the kids didn't have parents, but for the most part, it was kids whose, like, parents couldn't afford to take care of them or whatever. And so they were, like, under the care of this home. Mm -hmm. And it actually wasn't the pastor who had a relationship with them. It was, like, a couple of the elders, and they were the ones who led the missions trip every year. But the trip itself was basically we went and put on VBS. Mm -hmm. That was basically the trip um, for the kids. So I don't remember, though, really having a perspective on like the right way to do missions or the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Like we definitely weren't even there in that headspace. Um, I think that it was um, your typical evangelical, like we're going on this trip and you just have to trust that God is planting seeds. And if you don't see the fruit, maybe he's planting a seed in you. And this is, you know, like, it's just right for you to go and, like, serve. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the the perspective around it. And to me, like, I don't think I really thought very deeply about missions or the rightness or wrongness. Like, I didn't have any perspective in terms of what was good or bad. Like, it was always good to mm-hmm. sacrifice to well. the comforts of life and go provide a service to other people. Mm-hmm. So... Or to evangelize or whatever. So we honestly, I don't think, thought about it very deeply.
0: Mm. Wow. Yeah. It's an expensive thing to not think about very deeply. <laughs> Which a lot, of, I think many of us do. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and I think they, I mean, they, they, I'm sure someone thought about it. But, like, I just don't remember being provided with the context of, like, the rightness or wrongness or how to do it in a way that's beneficial or not. Like, I, I think it was, like, years after I had even been on missions trips that I even heard That short-term missions might be harmful or that, Mm -hmm. you know, there could be negative impacts from having stuff like that. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I think
2: Sally, as I mentioned earlier, was kind of like the matriarch that headed up headed up led the short and long-term missions so we had multiple missionaries and or pastors in other countries that we supported very long term and then people that she had long-term relationships with like over like 20 years which is what was really cool cuz like she would support people in that country or get the church to support people in that country mm-hmm. and then lead a group of people there once a year or every two years or whatever and I, thinking back, it is pretty interesting because um, we were, like I said, we were very missions forward. We supported both short and long-term missions um, with the goal to maintain relationship over time. But um, I remember there was a Sunday school class um an adult Sunday school class that specifically had trips to Israel, but they didn't call it missions. They were like, we are just going to Israel. Mm. Like, so they did make... Like a make, pilgrimage, maybe? Yeah. So they did make that distinction. Like, if they weren't going to, like, serve, they made that very clear, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. But, gosh, when I came to Bethel, like, it, a lot of missions support. And um, it's really interesting because they have different leaders that lead different um, different trips during missions week, which is when all of the students are led on trips to go to these different places. And the first year, the Philippines, I think it was our sixth or seventh year going there in a row. And we had a pastor that is Filipino, and I believe her parents are from the Philippines. So she's second generation here in the U.S. maybe. But so that was interesting. There was more like relationship built up there. But also my second missions trip to Jamaica, it was actually our first year going back Mm -hmm. after something happened that broke relationship. And so we were seen as doing like almost like a recon mission. Mm -hmm. Our job was to rebuild relationship, to build rapport. And like our leader, who was my pastor actually in first year, which is why I wanted to go with her. It was very serious to her. She was like, "You don't fuck this up." Basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we were being very tame and very intentional with things we did. It's kind of hard to say like this is what my church thought because mm-hmm. each experience with each missions trip was so different, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Yeah, definitely once I joined crew, like before I even started, I had to read um I had to read a lot of material on the biblical basis for missions mm-hmm. obviously Matthew 28 go and make disciples of all nations passage was very critical we had a lot more i guess equipping about the theology of missions and why it's important mm-hmm. and crew i think to their credit I don't know. <laughs> it's like not quite the right word but to their credit they do very much have a deep biblical sort of foundation that they provide people with in terms of like why missions is important and what is the purpose of it. And making disciples is like the number one thing. And so um, that led into a lot of more shifting away from just evangelizing and Mm. into church planting and supporting local churches and working with local churches around the world. And so that was kind of where I developed more of a theology around it, I guess I would say, in terms Mm. of like, it's not... Good missions unless you are supporting local initiatives that mm. can, like, thrive on their own and yeah. don't, aren't dependent on the missions themselves to be impactful to survive. Yeah. And so yeah. that was where a lot of our focus shifted. And the challenge was is that church planting, from a fundraising perspective, is very difficult to yeah. sell. For sure. <laughs> because it's really easy to sell a story of – 20 people came to Christ when they heard the message and they all mm. cried or, you know, whatever. And it, and people just are moved by that because um, that's such like a foundational piece of what it means to be a Christian, I think, in evangelicalism. And so people who are donating to the cause really like are emotionally moved by it. Mm-hmm. And it's harder to be like, yeah, we planted all these churches and they're – making it work you know yeah. like they're doing their own thing now we're empowering them you know it's just i mean you can definitely report numbers and that but it's it's a much more nuanced and long process type of thing and so anyways yeah. that's sort of getting into a different tangent but definitely once i got into full time missions work i was given a very strong foundation about like sort of the evangelical purpose behind missions and we were very much focused on Making sure people were not just converted to Christianity, but mm. provided with tools so that they could go and do that in their own communities. Yeah, vibe, which was like the right way right. to do missions or whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was definitely something that drew me to the World Race because one, the fact that we were in a country for a whole month felt like a long-term missionary to me. Right. Uh, and then two, the fact that they would partner with locals it it was very appealing to me and that being more of the quote-unquote right way mm-hmm. of doing it uh but i actually want to pull in a little thread of something that you said earlier kelly um in that if you aren't seeing seeds planted on the mission field with somebody else maybe those seeds are planted in you yeah. that makes me think of something that actually my church in high school would openly talk about which was the idea that missions trips are often actually for you and not for the people
1: we did talk about that a lot
0: yes it was which is wild to (laughs) me because you're like openly admitting that this isn't even helping people (laughs) yeah and like i remember our pastor talking about the importance of exposing ourselves to these other cultures the importance of like being like you know, multicultural Christians, essentially, yeah. and the importance of spending time with people, recognizing their differences. And like, honestly, our missions trips to Nicaragua were not very evangelizing. It mm-hmm. was very like, we gave people rice and beans. We asked them if they wanted us to pray for them. If they didn't, we left. And that was pretty much what we did, mm-hmm. besides just spending time at people's homes and like chatting with them. And so- it was it wasn't super like we need to make all these disciples. We never reported on anything like that. That was not a statistic that we gathered. But like we it was very much like he felt that it was vital for these high schoolers to experience mm. Nicaragua and like to be exposed to this and it was for us. <laughs> like that was the that was a lot of the mentality around it and then even on the world race as well there were times where people might have felt like People would complain, feeling like, I don't think I'm doing anything good for people. Mm. They would be like, I feel like my my missionary partner that, or organization that I'm with this month, we're not doing anything good. And leaders would tell them, well, maybe it's for you and not for them.
1: Which is like, okay, hello, American evangelical or even individualism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> hello. Yeah. Because um, we had that all the time. And I actually, this, this ended up being, it, it's just gaslighting. <laughs> because this ended up being a huge point of contention when I started working on the missions field is I was like trying to basically carve out a space for myself in this organization. And they had said, great, you want to be a filmmaker. We want to come and like, have you do that for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, but there was like no structure and no plan whatever. And I was like, what am I doing? How yeah. is this helpful? Like, is there any purpose behind this? And they were like, well, maybe it's just God's timing and not yours or like, Maybe, maybe you need to allow God to work in you first so that you can, you know, do whatever yeah. it is. And it's I think I think people's natural instinct is to want the work that they do or the volunteer work or the service or helping others to be tangible. Yeah. you know, like you don't you don't like bring lasagna over to your friend's house who doesn't need or want lasagna because yeah. it's good and in for fact, you they're
0: lactose intolerant yeah so. right? <laughs> yeah like it, but you get to eat the lasagna at their house
1: that's not helping others yeah. right and so i think a lot of people on especially short-term missions but even long-term missions sort of experience this like why am i bringing lasagna to all these people they don't yeah. this isn't what they need or i don't yeah. really think it's helping them that much And the response, yeah, I think that's like a, just an easy sort of cop-out when it comes to a missions organization trying to maintain their missionaries and their funding is to say, well,
0: let's think about what God is doing in you. Yeah. 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 It is wild. And it's, I think you're right on point in terms of it. It, You're just gaslighting people in order to maintain your status, in order to maintain the missions organization, in order to continue to justify the work. No, these people who have brought up issues – They're the problem because they're not recognizing what God's doing here. Yeah. And that's pretty gross, especially when it's at the expense of vulnerable people. Mm
1: -hmm. Because
0: what should happen is when you – Are in a situation like
1: that, and you're like, I'm not sure if this is valuable. It should be like, great, I'm glad you've noticed that. That's a big problem to solve. Let's figure out how we can make sure this is valuable. You know, because like it should be valuable.
0: Definitely.
2: No, that's really interesting that you guys say that because like I don't remember hearing that from my experience, because it wasn't necessarily about if it was beneficial for us or beneficial for necessarily. And I'm speaking specifically from my Bethel experience. It wasn't necessarily about beneficial for them or beneficial for us. It was about bringing the fire of God. Mm. And that's what matters. Sure. And that is the most important mm. thing. Like, that is what we were there to do, mm. essentially. And so it's like, obviously, that would benefit them and us. But the purpose was... Sure. Signs,
1: wonders, miracles. Mm. It's like, whether you can see it or not, it is benefiting them and you. Yes. Mm. Like, period. Yes. Yeah.
2: That's just no matter of, what. Like, and yeah. that, because
0: God is there. Yeah. yeah.
1: And that led to... I would say
2: a lot of mistreatment sure, amongst the students with like ridiculously long hours, lack of sleep, not enough nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it's really interesting to see how that manifests because it was like God's
1: fire at all costs, mm. even the cost of you.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: It's usually not as overt as, well, God is doing a work in you. Oftentimes it is wrapped beautifully in... Like uh, this isn't about them or what you see. This is about the call to obedience or this Mm. is God – you know, needing you to trust him. Or, mm. you know, it's it's very often sort of wrapped in the spiritual language that makes it seem like you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of the outcome. But yeah, I think it's interesting that they weren't collecting data because Crew is very big on collecting data. Like if someone came to Christ, like we were writing that down. Mm. If someone was healed, we were writing that down. If some you know, if there was yeah. anything like that was statistics that um are missions leaders had to report on or or whatever yeah so that like they were very strategic about making sure they had data to back up what they were doing Mm -hmm. um but yeah i think that's the hardest part about it is when you're going into these situations number one you're being led by people with spiritual authority over you mm-hmm. and so you kind of have to out of love for god and and, 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 respect, and, and honor. respect and honor and all those things you kind of have to submit mm-hmm. no actually and i said that in quotes but you actually have to submit to what your leaders are telling you to do and so oftentimes like you're expected to kind of deny that like gut instinct yeah. in favor of this sort of live by faith message yeah. which is very very hard to navigate in the moment
2: yeah no i completely agree i completely agree yeah it's
0: challenging for yeah sure. speaking of things that are challenging <laughs> oh good i'm curious to hear if you all have any particularly cringy moments that you can think of from your time on the mission field What's something that makes you do exactly that face that you just did, Kellyanne, which is (laughs) scrunching up your face like, oh, gosh, I can't. I don't want to share this, but here it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I
2: have endless stories. Give us one. Hit us with one. Again, (laughs) I traveled under the authority and name of Bethel. So I mean, we were expected to step out in faith, as Kelly mentioned. Um, we were expected to essentially perform signs, wonders, and miracles. Obviously, we weren't performing them. God was performing them. But we had to step out in faith so that God had a vessel to perform it in. Mm-hmm. And honestly, just endless cringe moments of lack of consideration for culture, lack of consideration for others. Um I will say probably the biggest thing I traveled when I traveled to the Philippines, we were broken up into three different groups. We spent one week together in the city of Manila and then we broke up into three different groups around different areas of the Philippines. I was in Los Banos and we were the quote unquote artistic group. We were the ones that were the musicians and the dancers and the singers and the things. And I had come from a very um, long history of dance. And so essentially I was expected to dance at every single event. And so I did so because my leader was like, you're going to dance. Yes. And I was like, I'm so tired of dancing. But one night she actually asked, do you want to step out in faith and try something different? And I was like, yes, anything to not dance. She was like, well, I feel like God wants to, wants you to prophetically sing. And I was like, okay. Oh gosh. I was like, anything to not dance. I'm exhausted. (laughs) Um, and
0: and then your alternative was (laughs) prophetic singing. Yeah. (laughs) Which
2: is, I mean, listen, I'm a professor. I I was professionally trained as a singer. I can sing, but like prophetically, like on (laughs) the spot. And I met a government official We went to meet a government official of the Philippines to come pray and whatever over them. And she looked at me and she was like, you're up. And I am still so embarrassed, but I like prophetically sang over this person and I could not duck out of that room fast enough once it was done. I was like, get me out of here. I never want to be here again. And so there was that level, like thinking back, I'm like, there's so much performance intertwined Mm -hmm. with Everything we did. I mean, in that trip, we were not necessarily in the slums ministering to people that had nothing and really needed help. We were meeting with millionaires and government officials and high-level people um, to influence the Seven Mountains for the kingdom.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is, like, it's always so funny when you hear about, like, like, random white girl from... Tennessee, yeah, (laughs) singing prophetically over like foreign diplomat, yeah, (laughs) you know, like we're talking, (laughs) yeah, it's like the highest levels of government, and then they're just being like, you're just like, no, you're the one, yeah,
2: (laughs) sing now, and I was like, oh, dance monkey, (laughs) yeah, that's how it felt, and honestly, that's how it felt throughout the entire trip, because they're like, you're the dancer, you're gonna dance to bring the Mm -hmm. spirit of God, Mm -hmm. and so. When I say I was exhausted, like, I don't know if I've ever been that tired in my life. Mm -hmm. Like, it was worse than, like, the four hours of sleep at summer camp because, like, I was already, like, not sleeping enough, like, trying to stay hydrated and, like, nutrition was, like, a whole thing. But also, like... I was physically exerting myself every single day for, like, hours at a time. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when I say at the expense of yourself, I mean it. <laughs> I was exhausted. Yeah. So what a wild time. So, yeah, yeah that's one of my cringe stories. I love that. Ooh, I don't. I hate it. But it I'm it,
1: embarrassed for you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. Cringe. I mean, there's endless cringe. I think big picture cringe is easier to point to than, like, the small stuff. But, yeah. Um... Similar to you, I think the things that make me cringe the most are this idea of, like, showing up to a local church or a place and them being like, oh, my God, white person is here. Please go up in front and sing or please Mm. go up in front and preach or or whatever. Like, I feel most embarrassed about this, like, idea that I had any level of importance at all to to be standing up in front of anybody to have Mm -hmm. any sort of thoughtful or practical thing to say Uh um yeah so i think that to me is the most the most cringe and that is layered upon layered with
0: like cultural issues (laughs) totally it definitely is but we were like there was one month uh on the world race where we were in indonesia and uh we essentially appropriated the Hindu culture there in order to evangelize to people. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were in like the Hindu part of Indonesia. It's a majority Muslim nation, but we were in the Hindu part. And they had these bracelets they would get from temple Mm. that were like little string bracelets that had red, black, and white on them. Yeah. And we would get those bracelets and wear them. And then when people would ask us, first of all, the pastor we were working with would just drop us off at the mall and be like, talk to people about Jesus. Just come up go up to people in the mall. I'll leave you here for a few hours. Wow. Ah, he's not even coming. We have no translator. We have we're just dropped off at a mall in Indonesia and he says, "Tell people about Jesus and invite them to my church." And the, <laughs> and we were given these bracelets and we were told these bracelets represent like the three sort of like main Hindu gods, the three sort of like big dogs in Hinduism. And you're gonna tell them the gospel through this bracelet instead. The black was all of our sin, all how bad humanity is. The red was the blood of Christ that was bled out for all of us to cover our sins and make us white, white as snow, we are now cleansed. And we would have sometimes, like we would strike up a conversation with someone who is Hindu and they would ask us, why are you wearing that bracelet? Like, did you go to temple? Are you Hindu? And we're like, no, let me tell you why we're wearing your cultural bracelet and tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. right now. And that was awful. In fact, we stopped doing it. He would drop us off and we would just not evangelize. Well, I mean, you we we realize it at the time, yeah. so there you go. So.
2: Yeah. It was,
0: yeah, that was very cringy and feels like we just, like, stole this thing and we're like, we're going to use it for Jesus yeah. instead. Yeah. That
1: reminds me. So, basically, my role at Crew was, I my job was to create films that communicated the message or the the mission of the Jesus Film Project to donors. Mm-hmm. So, that was my job. So, it was basically, like... Documentary filmmaking to make short promotional videos for the ministry, which Mm -hmm. was – sounded very cool on the outside. Their purpose, like their entire purpose, was to create short films that were conversation starters. So basically they were creating digital media that was those bracelets. Mm. (laughs) I was like, here, let me show you a film. And now I'm going to show you – now I'm going to use this film to like – Talk to you about the different things that represent Christianity mm. and basically use it as a tool to So we are basically creating, I don't know if you guys had these or if anyone listening remembers like the the Bill Bright like sides for the gospel. I don't remember what they're called, but like well, little booklets. tracks. Yes, tracks. I look back on that and I cringe because I worked on several of those sets and Helped with, the, you know, the editing process in several. It didn't feel like we were really doing anything that mattered. Yeah. You know, we were, like, making these films. But, like, with no real, like, skill or yeah actual learning or, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's one thing that frustrated me, even when on the mission field, but even more now, is the lack of skill brought yes. mm. forth. So like I mentioned earlier people would build houses who have never worked in construction mm-hmm. or like you're just automatically qualified to do things that are not even necessarily like christian things but even just like making a film with people who just like have a a passion from god for filmmaking or something yeah. you know mm-hmm. like the that's so like it's it's so frustrating cuz like how do you think you're actually helping people yeah. by doing that and like I even, I mean, I wonder, were you, my guess would be that you were an exception in crew as someone with like a degree that was relevant to what you were doing. Yeah, and <laughs> that,
1: I think that was why they were excited to hire me, Yeah, um, was because I had a degree and I was like, I want to do this. And they yeah. were like, great, someone with a degree. Yes. But, so, <laughs> <laughs> someone who has qualifications for what they were trying to do. But sadly, the irony there, though, is I was 22, yes. you know, and I, and i this was the biggest point of tension for me in being there is I didn't have any mentors. Mm. Like you don't yeah. learn. How could you grow? Yeah. I yeah. had no way to like actually become good at what I wanted to do. And to me, not becoming good at it was pointless. Like yeah. if you're not gonna like provide skills that benefit people in a way that are practical, to me, I just like couldn't I couldn't reconcile that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we learned a lot by doing, but we were just flying blind. And I, I look back and with the position I was in, I needed 10, 20 years of experience mm-hmm. before I could really provide value to a yeah. missions organization like that. I just – I feel that very strongly. Yeah. They didn't have anyone to train me. They didn't have – But
0: it didn't matter because God had called
1: you. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, and that is just like – that. He calls he equips the called, he doesn't call the equipped or whatever. And I'm like, Which is
0: stupid. It is stupid. That's how you swindle people into giving money. Yeah. Because they actually don't have the context to understand what they're giving money to. And you Mm -hmm. just end up
1: with organizations full of people who are running entire ministries without any professional. Well, and also
2: exploiting those that do have professional backgrounds. Like Mm -hmm. I remember my leader who shall remain nameless had kind of a reputation of trying to grab people that do have experience because she didn't know what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And like people would either buy into it because that's immediate, like, you know, access to influence or whatever in the environment. But then I know there are some people that were like, Absolutely not. God Mm -hmm. did not send me here to help you figure out your ministry shit for free. Mm -hmm. Like, but there were a lot of people that did fall into that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, part of me is like good on her for even recognizing that even if she wasn't going about it. In the Mm -hmm. right way. But even just recognizing, oh, I'm not actually equipped for this. I don't actually have all these skills. I need to
1: find some people that do. Yeah, And, yeah, you have people promoted to managers with no management experience. You have people Mm -hmm. promoted to director with no director experience. You have, like, people leading groups of people Mm -hmm. with, like, No corporate experience, and so then you end up with all this like emotional and spiritual abuse and manipulation, and it's just so messy because people don't know normal boundaries, but they're trying to run it as if it's a corporate structure. It's just it
0: was they're running a weird a weird line of being a corporation and then also being like a nonprofit that's totally volunteer and like all of that mess. Yeah. Yeah,
1: which is just I mean that we could just go on a tangent. That's like. Nonprofit world is just a whole world. It is. It is. Um, Yeah. But yeah, it it does make me cringe looking back like how much they thought that I could just learn these things. Sort of just figure it out and figure it out. And that was like the, I don't know. That's just not not how my brain works. I'm not like a figure outer. Mm. Well, also
0: that's not fair to you. Like (laughs) to just assume you're going to figure it out out of thin air. Like it's just not. In talking about how God doesn't call the equipped, God equips the called, mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious how that also falls into, like, what you expected going on the mission field. And, like, mm-hmm. what your churches or organizations, like, built up as this is the the, the glorious stories of what's going to happen on the mission field. And then what was it actually like? Boots on the ground. Did it meet those expectations for y'all?
1: I feel like I have a very specific story that can kind of encapsulate my mission's expectation versus reality, which is when I was fundraising to be a full-time missionary, I shared this video with all of my prospective donors that essentially is a video of people seeing the Jesus film, which was a film based on the story of Jesus, based on the Gospel of Luke. And it's been translated into thousands of languages. And so they showed a video of this people group hearing the gospel in their language for the first time. And when Jesus is crucified, they're crying. Mm. And when he comes back to life, they just flock to the front and give their lives to Jesus. And it's this very heavily emotional piece told from the perspective of donors who – if they basically funded this language mm. and they were like, we didn't know what God was going to do, but wow. Mm. And they just seem like these lovely, humble white people that heard the call of God and gave their money and look at what happened to this people group. Mm-hmm. Look at all of the people that came to Christ. Look at how impactful it was for them to hear the gospel in their own language. Like, Wow. And that, to me, was the highly emotional, idealistic idea of what could happen through this missions organization when, in reality, a vast number of languages get translated and maybe get shown. There's a premiere, maybe, of the film. People see it. It's sort of an average reaction. They're like, cool, that's the gospel. Mm -hmm. And then they move on. And there's no infrastructure in there in their people group to plant a church or to do anything or like.
0: And this was your
1: experience. Yes, I mean, this is, this is my experience. And also just like what I learned when I got there about um, like how that ministry impacts people. Like yeah. they have, they have languages of this film in the vault that never get used, right. you know, because there's no one to. No one cares to watch it. No, no one cares to watch. I mean, it's a film from the seventies. It's like, <laughs> and not that an old film can't have a great impact, but Um, Sometimes there's just not infrastructure in that language for a people group to really need it, Mm -hmm. I guess. And then there's also, like, they're trying to – sometimes there's a Bible translation that goes with it, so they have a Bible. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes they're creating a written language for a language. And so then – what? So you mean in that it was an only oral language mm-hmm. before? Yeah. And so, like, they're partnering with another organization that's creating a written language in order to put it into biblical language. And then they have this oral with it. And so wow, it just it's way more complicated and nuanced. And it depends so deeply on the culture, whether or not the culture is a motive. Mm-hmm. Like some cultures aren't like... Not some. Lots of cultures don't just cry openly in front of people. It's actually very unusual. This idea that this, like, highly emotional experience is going to happen, people are going to
0: be touched,
1: repent, come to God, and, like, this whole village will come to Christ was very much not the norm. Yeah. And I think that is just representative of what testimony can do Mm. to people and getting them, like energized about something in comparison to like being realistic about the expectation that you're going to see these amazing miracles and you're going to see all these people come to Christ and your life is going to be changed and their lives are going to be changed I think was to me what missions was projected as Mm. and it's not like that yeah it's not like that
2: definitely not I mean Yeah, it is strange to see like the difference in comparing now where I'm at in my life. We had like a whole week of prep for our missions trips in BSSM where we have speakers from the missions field come in and like we have all these like leaders and pastors like essentially like firing us up for this like extreme experience. And I would say looking back, I far preferred my trip to Jamaica than my trip to the Philippines because it felt so much more subtle in the sense of, like, we were just getting out and helping the community, like, helping understaffed organizations, serving people that are sick and dying, serving orphans, like, the things that felt like this actually matters, um, or I'm actually practically helping people without trying to like uproot their lives mm-hmm. with the fire of God. <laughs> My experience, you know, they they preach like you're going to see signs, wonders, miracles. People could like be healed right in front of you. People could rise from the dead. Like these are things that students walk into their missions trips with these expectations. Mm-hmm. My experience of traveling to the Philippines, while there were some very cool things we did get to do, A lot of it was not what I expected. I expected to be literally like roughing it. We stayed in a resort. Mm -hmm. We stayed like we got massages every day. Granted, they're like $2, so that's fine. But like we got massages every day. We were meeting with politicians. We were meeting with high level pastors with like thousand plus member congregations. We were participating in conferences, leading conferences, et cetera, et cetera. And it was, like, it felt very affluent. Um, Another thing that they did not prep us for, the Philippines at the time was considered to be, like, a level two, like, quote-unquote risk, if you will. So we went through, like, safety training. Something they did not prepare me for or any of us for is that if you are fair-skinned, you in that culture are automatically, like, considered a celebrity. Um, So... People would come up to me frequently and just ask to take my picture. And, like, I was like, okay. But I f- I remember feeling so incredibly uncomfortable because I am very fair-skinned. I have blue eyes. At the time, my hair was more red. And so they were like, she's famous. And so in that way, as we went around to a bunch of different, like, areas and now remembering back, I'm like, the majority of our group was European. Our whiteness was kind of used as like to influence the culture. And I'm like, ew, that's like so gross to me thinking back. And I'm like, this, it's so sad to be like, well, these people are white and they're probably rich, so they must be famous. So here, listen to the gospel. So while I say like, it was a really rough trip, like I was exhausted and like all the things. um, Also, we went and met millionaires and people with mansions and we were staying in these like resorts and it it was it wasn't the quote-unquote like roughing it it was very luxurious while also exhausting very luxurious and I was like this isn't what I thought I was paying for like I thought I wasn't I didn't think I was paying for a vacation plus plus mission trip I thought I was paying To come and help people, not cater to the high influencers of society.
1: Yeah, and that's actually an interesting piece of it because I remember my first mission trip being um, disappointed in the lack of roughing it as Mm. well. (laughs) Like, I think I was like, why are we staying in a hotel? We should be sleeping in tents with no showers. You know, like, (laughs) the kind of just, which I think is interesting. It's like, we really have this idea around missions. It's like, oh, we got to. If we're not feeling like we're sacrificing, then it's not actually doing anything or, Mm. you know, like we're, I don't know, which is very tough. It's very romanticized. Yes. In the
0: idea of like you are laying yourself down to personally sacrifice because you care so deeply about, you know, spreading the gospel to these people or even just about helping these people. And so you will, you know, humble yourself down to their level. And you will rough it for the gospel because Mm -hmm. you must be a martyr for Christ, right?
2: I wouldn't say I felt quite that extreme, though. I would say, like, I don't need to stay in a a four-and-a-half-star resort, like, somewhere more reasonable. But, yes, there is that level of, like, oh, you should be, like, found with the least of
0: these. Yeah, it should be a little painful, Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, which is a whole can of worms uh, that we will open later. But uh, I'm curious to hear from y'all as you're talking about where your money went, Mm -hmm. as you're talking about staying in places that maybe were more luxurious than expected, or as we're discussing the the fundraising aspect of this, what was the fundraising aspect like for y'all? And... Was there, was there pressure towards fundraising? Was there a lot of expectation when it came to fundraising? And how did your money wind up getting used, actually?
2: Yeah. I would say I thankfully didn't feel necessarily pressure from the organization to fundraise. They didn't really care how the money was raised. They encouraged us to fundraise so that we could go. They're like, if you don't have a job, you can't afford it, whatever, fundraise, go on the missions trip. They wanted people to come on missions trips. Yeah. Um, so there was a level of that, but um, they didn't really care how you got it. Mm-hmm. They were like, just get the money because it'll if you come, like, God will move and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But I will say, like, it's like, oh, I'm a student, so, like, and I didn't work. So I was like, I don't have a way to pay for this if I don't fundraise. So I will say I hated fundraising. I will say I think I just disassociated it because I was like, this is just something I have to do. This is just part of it. But as far as how my money got used, I mean, my first mission trip to the Philippines, it was used for, you know, fancy buses. And, you know, the leader... Got a suite and we stayed at these fancy resorts and, you know, it, it was used for not things that I thought it was going to be used for. And it was not a cheap trip. It was $4,000. My other trip to Jamaica was much more reasonable. We stayed at a YWAM base um, and it was not over the top and fancy, which felt to me like a happy medium. Like I was like, I'm staying in a nice place it is not over the top. But I remember a couple of my leaders uh, elected to fast one or two meals a day. And it's because they let people come on the trip that couldn't raise all of the money. And so that was actually, it was sad. Like to save money or what? Because they didn't have all of the money to pay for all of the meals. So they decided not to eat. For a portion of the day in order wow. to save the funds so that we, the rest of us could eat basically, which they tried to not say anything, but we all noticed like, oh, like they shut up to breakfast and just grabbed coffee or, you know, something like that. And so... It's interesting because it's the money is handled differently from trip to trip and leader to leader. So like those are the two vastly different experiences I had. Like one was very fancy. The other one was very like we're scraping by. I don't like, though, that um, if you paid a certain amount of missions funding towards a trip, but you could not finish paying for it, you did not get any of the money back. That money was used for the trip. And so I didn't like that it was like non-refundable essentially because it's like I was paying for my ticket or my seat or whatever, but they're like, nope, that's ours now. Mm. So that was interesting, especially from students.
0: Very common. I wonder how much money is made through people who drop out.
2: So much. I remember my trip. That's a profit. My trip started out for the Philippines at least with like probably like 100 people. And, like, 70 went. So that's 30 people that paid, like, a however much $1,500 deposit. And it was also one of the most expensive trips. Mm. I think I went on the second or third most expensive trip. The most expensive was to Israel.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, for the most part, I would probably – for the most short-term missions and for the one I was – the one I did before I, like, joined crew – I mean, you're basically raising your travel expenses and your living expenses while you're there, you know? And mm-hmm. so, I mean, yeah, like, someone's got to pay for that, you know? You have to get a plane ticket. You have to stay somewhere. You have to eat. Like, maybe, maybe a portion of your donation goes towards, like, trip funds so that they can buy supplies for whatever thing. The thing I really struggled with was... And fundraising in itself is just a beast and no one likes doing it and it sucks. But the thing that I struggled with the most was raising money to be to be a full-time missionary. I actually wasn't raising money for a trip or for anything specific to the like job that I was doing. I was raising money for my salary and my health insurance and my 401k. Yeah. Cuz you were
0: working like a lot of the time, essentially, a, a desk job in the United States. Yes. And, yeah. and that so, was you being a missionary. Yeah.
1: I lived so, in Orlando, yeah. and the the um, organization actually paid for any of the trips that I went on. So I didn't have to raise money to, like, go film mm-hmm. in different places. That was just ministry funds. Um, and so the thing that bothered me the most about it wasn't necessarily that people have to – Raise money to survive, because I think that's – I mean, like, I get it. Like, if you're going to be a full-time missionary, like, on a campus or whatever, like, someone's got to pay for it. Yeah. Crew has a very specific self-funding way of doing missions that has actually – like, is – like, they're the reason that YWAM does it that way. And mm-hmm. they're the reason that a lot of mega churches will do it that way, is having self-funded staff members. So – wasn't so much the method. For me in particular, what I struggled with was that I didn't need the money. Ross at the time wasn't making like extraordinary money, but he was making more money than some people that were donating for me to have a salary, mm. um, which was really hard for me in terms of like knowing he would have been perfectly happy to just cover my expenses. I didn't need like I didn't need the money. Yeah. And the organization, despite... Not having a policy where I had to raise the money made me raise the money. And so I I raised the money out of like obedience, honor, et cetera. And pretty much as soon as I got into the field, found out that I didn't have to raise the money. And so became volunteer staff as soon as I built up the courage. But there was all this like pressure. I had to raise the money. I couldn't start until I raised the money. And so I... Tried to be obedient, and wow. I got all these people to donate to my cause. And I got there and then didn't need to. Wow. So I really struggled with that because it just, in my situation, it wasn't applicable.
2: So, but even that impacted your start date for a job. Yeah,
1: no, you couldn't you go couldn't start. until your money was wow. raised. So, yeah, and it was, there was drama. And I... Asked many times, like, are there exceptions for this? Can we blah, 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 And they just wouldn't. They wouldn't, they wouldn't budge. Bunch. And then once I got there and I talked to HR, I was like, hey, I want to become volunteer staff. And they were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, they want your money yeah. coming in. Like, that's. I don't know. I, I, I They would say something about, like, how, you know, raising the money is God's confirmation of your calling or. They just had all know. sorts of different reasons why I had to raise – like, and we're not talking small sums of money. We're talking, like, $40,000 a year of income. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so I did that for, like, almost a year where I just – my full-time job was raising money for my salary wow. eventually. And that was very, very hard. And it was very hard for me to, like, justify this to people and nice. feel like I was doing something that was worth it. And I don't. Like I, I, I'm not proud of like where the funds went or how they were used or any of that because it just, in my situation, was not necessary. I, I, I don't have any problem with other people who do it, who actually survive off that funding, et cetera. But in my particular case, it was not needed and made it my, made my onboarding process very difficult. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah, and they and they do take a percentage of it for like operational costs. So they right. they um. They take 12%, I think, of everything I raise. And on top of that, the fact that my job was tied to fundraising. (laughs) Basically, like, I'm fundraising so that you can pay me so that I can go to richer people so that they can pay the ministry money. It was was just weird to me. You're fundraising so you can fundraise. Yes. Yes. It felt, it was, it just never felt right. to me and I struggled with it a lot and that's where a lot of the gaslighting came in and like well you don't maybe know you just have to be obedient and like and trust God or you know it it just (laughs) it was just a mess and I think especially the piece of like knowing that friends and family who believed in me who made less than me were giving of their funding so that I could go do this job Mm -hmm. that I didn't need the money for. I have a lot of like Fundraising trauma as a result for that. That's fair. And I don't don't like getting money from people. (laughs) As you're, like, talking about that, I think I'm
2: having a flashback that when we were on our missions trip, specifically to the Philippines, they did take offerings multiple times for the missionaries. I'm realizing that just all went to the leaders. Like, which is fine. Like, they make money from, like... They're itinerant ministers, essentially. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, they sold their books. They took, like, offerings. And these were large groups of people. Like, they weren't
1: small groups of people. I'm oh, like, you mean, like, leaders of your trip were selling their books? Yes.
0: That's really gross. I yeah. actually don't think it's fine, I'm like, like you're oh, saying. I don't think it's okay. <laughs> no, I don't.
2: I should refer. I don't think it's fine. I'm like, if a church wants to do this, that is what their decision but like i'm realizing like holy shit like not only did my leaders like first of all they didn't pay for the trip we paid for their trip essentially Mm -hmm. which whatever like you said people have to pay their way Mm -hmm. but also they like walked away with Profit, they made money from this trip. I'm just like having I'm connecting dots that's right now. Really sick.
0: That's so icky. honestly. Yeah, yeah. Like that's
2: <laughs>
0: very, very uncomfortable. Yeah.
2: To and me. it's like I I was part of that. Mm-hmm. I was the dance monkey, sing monkey, yeah. to, like bring the spirit. Yeah. And it's like they literally for them
0: to like make money. Hmm. Emma, how about
1: you? I'm so curious. Because yeah, you did a year's worth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I um, I had to raise $18,000 to do the world race. Yeah. Um, so that was for me to live off of for that year. Uh, and honestly, the majority of that cost is plane tickets. We only did three flights. Um, a lot of it was traveling to other countries via bus. I... Sort of struggled with the fundraising. I managed to fundraise all my money. There were many people who didn't. What? There were people that were in like month five of being on the mission field who still hadn't raised all their money. Um, and who I think by the end of it still hadn't raised all their money. And they were just being told, all right, you're going to have to pay it eventually. No. That was kind of the their, their thing. They're like, we want you to go, but you will be in debt to us essentially. And I remember one time I was... Uh, I had been fundraising. I hadn't gone on the trip yet. And I visited my grandparents. And um, I didn't even bring up the trip to them. But my grandpa got upset with me and accused me of just asking for money to go on vacation for a year. And <laughs> I was very hurt by that. Yeah. Uh, but also, there's a part of me that resonates with why he felt that way mm. because there is a large sense that it was for me. Mm-hmm. Like, this was something I wanted to do, and I was asking other people to pay for me to do it. And there were multiple people on my uh, in my group for the World Race who did self-fund their mm-hmm. trip, who did literally save up all the money themselves and pay for themselves to go. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know that you could do that. Like, that, like, yeah. didn't cross my mind. There was no regulation in the sense of like where that money was coming from we were encouraged Mm -hmm. to fundraise but like they wouldn't not take the money if it was just from your paycheck and so there were people who did that and they were like yeah I just didn't feel right fundraising so I just paid for myself to go and I'm like but they didn't give you that as an option no but people did it And one of the biggest things I feel guilty about thinking about mission work is asking people for money to do it. There's a couple things that I could maybe say that I think I helped people in a sense with. But outside of that, like, they paid for me to go to 11 plus countries all over the world. Mm -hmm. Like, that's gross to me looking back. Like, I don't don't have a good way of justifying that anymore. Mm. And so to me, the fundraising aspect is like... Ridden with guilt, and that I have, I took eighteen thousand dollars from people so that I could live abroad for a year instead of like doing that myself. Mm. Uh, and yeah, so I think that the fundraising aspect, the fundraising wasn't that hard to me um, in terms of just getting the money. Uh, it was obviously like uncomfortable at times, like asking people for money and stuff. But mm. I did a bunch of fundraising initiatives and different things and I raised the money but uh, it's looking back on like this these people donated to something that I think they thought was much more important than I actually think it was Mm
1: -hmm. I feel the same way and I I really want once I got there it was so hard to be like when's my next trip when's the next important thing that I'm doing because I felt so much pressure to like Prove to these people that the money that they had given was worth yeah. what they had given it for, you mm-hmm. know, and when I didn't feel that way, I felt this immense pressure to yeah. to like figure something out so that my donors were not just wasting
2: yeah,
1: or hadn't just wasted all this money on me just to like do a job that I thought sounded fun
2: you yeah. know when I could yeah. like
1: literally just not work for crew and work somewhere else that would pay me yeah. to yeah. do that because yeah. it was work
0: that you could just get paid for yeah
1: <laughs> and yeah. so I, yeah it was, it was very just being hard. a
0: volunteer like you switched to but also yep. crew couldn't operate if they just had volunteers yeah right yeah if and they're I, not getting the 12% and they don't have the same buy-in from people I think that's
1: really what it is is they mm-hmm. wanted they wanted me to fundraise because they wanted my buy-in yeah and, and they well, wanted cause... me to not have the freedom to leave if I felt like I needed to yeah because
2: well, At the end of the day, you're fueled by that pressure or that guilt or whatever. I mean, I remember families telling me, yeah, you know, God's doing something important through you. We're going to tighten our belts this month. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, holy shit. Did, like, kids not get meals because I wanted to go on a trip? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I have to, like, sit with that,
0: you know? The fundraising stuff is definitely – a bit triggering, yeah. and, oh, yeah, I'm like, and thinking I'm hot back on right it, now. yeah, yeah. sweating, yeah, right I are you are. <laughs> um, no. uh, it, it's a lot, and I think that a lot of our feelings towards it are tied to the way that we now think about Christianity as a whole, mm-hmm. um, and how we've all individually deconstructed our beliefs. Uh, yeah. So I'm curious to hear, outside of the fundraising thing, how. Are y'all viewing missionary work now and like how has your sort of deconstructed perspective maybe changed or maybe it's still the same? I don't know Mm -hmm. Uh, how you think about missionary work currently and then also reflecting on it in the past.
1: Definitely for me, the more we talk about this, the more I've realized that I kind of just walked away from my missions experience and like Mm -hmm. pushed it off to the side and haven't done a whole lot of like thoughtful deconstruction um are some obvious things i think that probably all of us can agree with that just like research that's come out about the value of short-term missions and different things like that is obviously not looking great we've seen like the billy graham ministries come out with like Oh, actually, like, maybe only 1% or 2% of the people that we've reported are actually still Christians. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if our evangelizing really worked that well. You know, so there's – I think there's evidence that suggests that the traditional understanding of missions is not really working. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition to the bigger colonial (laughs) – Sort of issues with just white people going to foreign nations to feel good about themselves. As a practice, I understand why Christians choose to do missions. It has a very dark and problematic history um, with the church going into other nations to share the gospel. But I also see like my my aunt and uncle, for example, spent 10 years living in Pakistan and they were medical. They they were doctors. So they were Mm -hmm. providing practical medical help to people that needed it and um, performing surgeries on people that couldn't see so that they could see again. Mm. Um, that was my my uncle's main main missions focus was he was he's an ophthalmologist and so he would perform surgeries on people with cataracts so that they could have jobs yeah <laughs> and like work and live again. Yeah. Um, so I think that um, I think that there are practical tangible ways to provide humanitarian aid to other countries. I think it serves us well to do some serious critical thinking about why we're doing those things um, in the first place. Because it is – I feel very conflicted about going into other places and helping people so that they convert to your religion. Yeah, That is – that to me is the the core of the cringe for yeah. me as I look back on missions is like – Having this idea that you carry this ultimate knowledge that must be shared, and using aid as a a form of like a bargaining chip. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I agree with you. I think there's so much to deconstruct in that space. For me, the biggest thing has been saviorism, uh, which I feel like has been ingrained 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 in me for. Since birth, <laughs> um, and so, from I have a very hard time sitting with people's pain mm. and discomfort. and that has been a huge part of my training as I've been you know, pursuing certifications as a somatics practitioner like, you have to hold space for just what is and not try to fix it and not try to make meaning out of it. Mm-hmm. And that has challenged my savior complex. And that is something that I see manifest. Um, it Well, I mean, from my ministry background, and it still manifests today in different ways in relationships. Like when I hurt my husband, he, I want to just fix it. I want to solve the pain immediately and not let it just sit there and be what it is. Mm-hmm um and so that is incredibly challenging in general i don't i don't know if i think missions is a good thing in the sense that like you said the bargaining chip of religion like i will mm-hmm. come serve you but hey i've done something for you now you should listen to what i have to tell you i never liked that it always felt very cringe to me is there a huge benefit in traveling for the purpose of humanitarian aid and services absolutely I think that there is a benefit to that. I think you have to be very intentional with the way you do it though. Mm. I think you have to be very culturally aware. I think you need to be aware of power dynamics. I think you need to but also I think I think if you want to go take a trip so that you can, you know, serve in a soup kitchen somewhere far away, I think you should be able to pay for that. I don't know that necessarily it's everyone else's job mm. to pay for you to do that. I mean, I think of, you know, things like what your aunt and uncle do or um, I forget what it's called. There's this really cool organization where it's like you literally sail around the world in a ship and you, like, dock at different places and specifically for the purpose of medical aid. Oh, Doctors Without Borders. Yeah, that. Like, there's lots of really cool organizations that I think do important, impactful things, but I think it so closely needs to be partnered with the local People And if they're not asking for it, you might not need
1: to be involved in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I even struggle with that. Like, Like, not that we shouldn't help our neighbor, right? I think that there's a lot of value in that. But the way that we help people, like, especially in the wealthiest nation, one of the wealthiest nations in the world, like, it comes with a power dynamic no matter what you do. And so, like, how... Uh, I don't know. It, it 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 just gets very tricky with like, what, what does that help really mean? And what is the purpose of it? And mm. um, I think it can be cha- challenging and sometimes crippling to different cultures to have this sort of like interference. But, but I'm not saying it's not helpful. I, I find it very, very yeah. hard to yeah. work out.
2: And that's why I think it needs to be done partnering so closely with the people you are serving. If there's a pastor somewhere in Nicaragua or wherever, and they're like, yes, we need your support. Come support us. Cool. Like that's very different than just rolling in like and disrupting lives for a couple weeks. Um, But as far as like support, do I support missionary work? No. I save my money to donate to causes that are doing things like cleaning up the plastic out of the ocean or... You know, like things that I'm like, this is practically making the world a better place or donating to things like doctors that are performing procedures in other countries that are changing people's lives. Like that to me is very different than like, I'm going to go, you know, save people. (laughs) I don't know. Like, it's just, it's very different for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're right. Like, I think to me, the biggest impact is your money. So what are you doing with your money? Do you want to physically go? In, in which case, if you have $4,000, that's going to go a lot further donating to a cause than buying some plane tickets. But also I'm like, I found great benefit from traveling and doing missions work. And so
1: I'm like. Well, and I think that's the difference is like when it comes to the benefits of being a well-traveled person and having a greater cultural perspective, mm-hmm. that's a benefit that I gain. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily help.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Anyone else around me.
2: In which case, though, like, (laughs) I think people need to be honest about that. Do you want to be traveled? Is that why you're going? Yeah. Whatever. Go buy your plane ticket. But don't disguise it as I'm trying to, like, make people's lives better or whatever.
0: Yeah. 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 I do think – I mean, I am someone who very cringily believes that, like, travel is something that broadens the mind. It's what allows you to be a better person. Mm -hmm. It's not cringe. It's true. No, I do think it's very cringe. Uh, But the – That idea is also a very privileged idea with people who have access to travel at all in the first place. Uh, And one thing I think about a lot is like, why do you need to go to another country that you were not invited to in order to, quote unquote, change people's lives? You know, like, why Why does that even feel necessary to anyone? <laughs> and exactly. It <laughs> has to do with white saviorism. And I've definitely had those experiences where I was paraded around as a holier, more anointed white American who has this special wisdom from God to give to people in a rural African country and to preach to them as a 20-something-year-old. It is really gross to think about. Um, but— That's the reality of, like, what it's like a lot of the time on the mission field. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when I think about something like aid, even, there are people in other countries who have said, do not come. Mm -hmm. Do not give us aid because you're hurting us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or I even think, like, I even feel tension with something like, Kelly, you talking about your aunt and uncle doing medical work for these people, why not train medical professionals who are locals? But then I go back to, well, is there even infrastructure for medical professionals to maintain jobs in the country? Mm -hmm. There's so much that goes into it. And then so much of that is rooted in ways that these, so many of these nations that are basically like pitied and considered good places to go and be a missionary at are in these terrible economic states because of colonialism because of people invading their lands taking over their country sucking them dry and then leaving them <laughs> like and
1: or like requiring them to be dependent on yes the the aid like i, I think of like afghanistan when we pulled out our occupation it mm-hmm. was detrimental to the country and the people yes. that lived in it because we had occupied it for so long mm-hmm. and we left them with Nothing. We left them in worse state than they had been, you know. And so
0: there is this challenge of what happens when we interfere. But there were also Afghanis who wanted us to leave. Yeah. Because we are disrupting their nation with our presence.
2: It's so complicated. It's not as simple as good or bad because some people are going to want the aid and some people are not going to want the
1: aid. I mean, I think it's a lot like being a big sister. (laughs) I have to let my siblings make choices for themselves and live their own life and like have their and I this is obviously a very oversimplified example but I can't make I can't make other people live a life that I deem worthy and I think that maybe is is the problem this idea that there Mm -hmm. is a right way to be alive or a right way to make choices or a right way to exist on this planet we're all messy as a big sister I struggle all the time with wanting to Control the way my younger sibling lives or like pro- provide her with the right way to go or, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, there that's not the construct that there's a good or bad way or a right or wrong way. It, it doesn't exist. Like right. those are things that she has to work out with within herself in the same that, way that I have stuff to work out with within myself. And this idea that I can shelter or protect people or I don't know. And it doesn't mean not help people, but it does mean like there's a balance and it gets complicated. There is
0: so much nuance within it. And I at the same time think like (laughs) we as a nation that has participated and still participates in colonization – don't we also have a responsibility to like repair things? Don't we have a responsibility for reparations? But I also know that historically that has turned into Westernization of countries that should not, do not want to be Westernized. Um, That has turned into like whitewashing countries Uh, and missionaries have done the same thing. Missionaries are the big reason why so many cultures have been almost eradicated or eradicated. Like, in Hawaii, for example, the reason the United States owns Hawaii is because of missionaries going to Hawaii and taking over the island and eliminating Hawaiian languages, elimin- like not allowing Hawaiians to dance in hula skirts. Like, there's so many things that, like, cultures have been suppressed because of missionary work, because of the white savior ideal of this is the right way to do Christianity. <laughs> and, um also linking to power, money, control, more land, more like influence. And it's it's really gross when you mm. think about it that way, uh, how it is all interlinked. But another thing that I think about when it comes to missionary work, uh, which is largely focused on evangelism, as we've talked about, is that For me, because I have so thoroughly deconstructed my views on the afterlife, Mm -hmm. my views on hell, my views on the superiority of Christianity, Mm -hmm. which it is not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is not superior uh, because a lot of missionary work is rooted in the idea that these other religions are inferior to Christianity, that they are lies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... Because my views on all that has deconstructed so much, it's like, why be a missionary? It's like, what what's the purpose of doing that when I don't actually believe that I need to save these people from hell? Yeah. Because hell is not a thing in my brain anymore, mm. you know? So, like, that that idea comes back to it where it's like, you're whitewashing cultures, you are Christianizing people who didn't want to be, who were living with their own religious and cultural beliefs And you are covering them over with your own. And what is the purpose of that outside of just gaining more power and influence? The the thing is, is like there are ways for I think I don't think that Christianity is inherently colonizing, but I think that it has been colonizing for a long time. I mean, and there are ways that people have practiced Christianity outside of colonization that are integrated into cultures. Um, I feel like I bring up this example a lot, but I think about Coptic Christians. They received Christianity in Egypt 2,000 years ago and have cultivated their own form of Christianity that looks so different from what we think of as evangelical Christianity today. Mm. But they have adapted this tradition and formed it into their culture. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying... You need to practice Christianity the way that we practice it because this is the correct way as white Americans who are so detached from anything Any sort of to do with historical biblical, Christianity. Yeah, at biblical all? context. <laughs> and so I think that also factors in. Yeah.
2: It's also complicated. Like there's not a straightforward answer.
1: It's
0: Yeah. And and the question of like,
1: do we help and support each other? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's like generally an answer. But also we have neighbors. That we should be helping and supporting first, you know. Well, and by first, that's really hard because it's like if you look at the wealth gap between our nation and others, it's pretty drastic. So but I, I mean, like if you really feel strongly to serve at a soup kitchen, you can serve at one down the street. If totally. you feel strongly that you need to, like, build a house, you can help someone who needs, like, some drastic repair on their house. Yeah. That is if, in your neighborhood. If you
0: want to travel to another country, just
1: say it. Yeah. yeah. Instead if you want to travel, travel. Like, <laughs> yeah. And just recognize, like, I mean, I think White Lotus, the show, is a great example of, like, tourism isn't any better than necessarily missionary except that you're actually paying people to provide a service, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, you're you're a, a foreigner in a place that – you don't belong in you Mm -hmm. know and you recognize that you are coming into a culture and feeding maybe an economy of some kind and that is your role that is what you do people make a living off of you and that is that's it yeah (laughs) but like when it comes to helping people and making good in the world I think focusing on things like education and Mm -hmm. uh, access to menstrual products or like empowering marginalized people groups to have more space at the table yeah. or you know Giving like, like
0: micro loans so that yes, people can begin yes. to start their own businesses yes or, yeah
1: I think like focusing on what's going to empower people to become self-sufficient and to make change in their own
0: space is probably the best way to lean and it's also nuanced and there's no yeah I do think there is at least in my brain there's this like um unrest of wanting all of those problems to be solved immediately, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I think about all the pain and the harm that's been done to so many um, abused and oppressed nations Mm -hmm. by Western colonization, and I want them to be better. I, like, I want them to be healed. Mm -hmm. But it will take a lot of time to heal those places, and missionaries are probably not the answer to heal those.
2: They are not
0: equipped Yet. for it, any yeah. of that. And but uh, ways to 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 start repairing those places and to empower the people to also repair them, but also at the same time take responsibility as colonizers is a decades, maybe hundreds of years long process if we even ever get there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think that That is a really good perspective to have because I think it's a very individualistic view to think that your dollar and your influence Mm. has the grandest impact to, I don't know, save a people group. (laughs) Mm. Um, And, yes, use your dollars for good things. I'm not saying don't. but, But, yeah, I think you have a responsibility to be very educated and intentional about it. And... You are just one small, puny little person on this planet, and you don't carry the fire of God to change something in an instant.
2: Definitely That's just not how it works. Trust me, I've
1: tried, guys. You definitely don't. (laughs) Like, if we could take a Gandalf staff and end racism today, like... (laughs) Like we've talked about in previous episodes with Bubble. Yeah. We, we would all do that, you yeah. know? We
2: would be doing that every day if there until was, it happens. If there was a genie
1: that could pop out and we could just snap our fingers and demand world peace. Yeah. what Wouldn't it be great if it was that easy?
2: Which, you know? I think that's what's so hard about evangelicalism in general and also missions is they, a lot of times they do treat God that way. They treat God like that genie in a bottle that he's going to give you your miracle and your life's going to be completely transformed. And now you will go on and do what we have done for you. And I'm like, it, I, I never made peace with that, even as I was experiencing it. I'm like, this is so bizarre to me, how we just treated God like he would just pop up and do his thing and then go away. And we were like, that's why we
1: came. Like he even needs you in the first place. So bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, I even like this conversation is even hard because it feels like there are so many people in need that could probably think of a hundred different ways to spend m- money where it is, you know, and like Absolutely. who are like, there's wars happening right now where people are in like very drastic situations exactly. that, you know, th- they don't need evangelism they just need a place to stay exactly yeah. Yeah, like need children to, need
2: to be evacuated they
1: need a place to put their families yeah. that's safe you know mm-hmm. and it's it doesn't it doesn't deny the fact that there are literal horrors
0: mm-hmm. around
1: us it just i think puts into perspective what it means to be a community focused member of society versus like an individualized hero of the story
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) on that note, you know? With all of that being said, it is... I'm sure, listeners, you can tell that this is something we feel a lot of feelings about. And we all have these experiences. We've all been a part and participants of this sort of missionary complex. So, ladies... Do you regret it? (laughs) Do you, I think, do you wish you hadn't? No. Why not?
2: I think if I had not experienced those things, I would not have been able to deconstruct the way I have. I think it was important for me to experience the rubber meeting the road of the extreme environment that I was in. It was important for me to see that my actions can hurt other people. Um, I think it was important for me to see my faith interact at the time, my faith interacting with other cultures and how it was not going well. I think it was all very important for me. And that is very selfish, but I wouldn't change it. Um, I would like to hope that maybe I helped some people, but I think. It is, for me, it has become so important to accept the complexity and nuance of my background. Mm. I have hurt a lot of people. I have made a lot of mistakes when I thought I was doing really good things. And the truth is, they were not. I was, it was very important for me to see, especially now, how fallible I am when I was told for so long that I was not because I was Christian or Whatever. Um, I think it was it was all very important for me. And I don't think that for me it does good for me to be like, oh, I wish I hadn't or I wish I would have changed it or whatever. And that's just where I'm at in my process and in my journey. And so.
1: No, I, I think that's super honest. I feel a lot of mixed feelings. Um, do I regret missions as a whole uh I regret being coerced into becoming a full-time missionary yes mm. um not coerced maybe that's a little extreme but I think it's valid I think I think I I feel like when I look back I feel like I was coerced um spiritually I don't think I had the emotional skills to recognize the difference between what I wanted to do and what the missions field was telling me to do, mm-hmm. um, and what I needed in my life and what they said I should do, you know? So I, I do regret raising money. I regret being on the missions field. Um, I don't necessarily specifically regret the work that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do believe there's inherent value in giving people space to share their stories. And since I was working with other Christians within nations, I don't, I don't look back and go, ooh, I really exploited those people. Um, but there's an element of like, did I use people's stories to raise money for the ministry? Yeah, and that kind of sucks. So I don't know. It That's complicated, but I, I wouldn't say I regret it necessarily because I think any form of journalism, any form of telling stories requires a little bit of exploitation of that story mm-hmm. um, sure. and, and whatever flavor that, May take yeah. form, even um, as like
0: a secular journalist.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, because people need to see the story, and if people see that, you know, once yeah. the story's out, it takes its own form. So, so yes, I, if I could go back, I would tell Baby Kelly, "This is not what you want. Don't do it." <laughs> mm-hmm. um. Um, in terms of whether I regret going on a short term missions in high school. Maybe it makes me cringe a little. Um, I didn't actually pay for any of it. I was somebody like an anonymous donor basically covered my entire trip. Um, I don't think it was beneficial, but I don't think I don't also feel like I, the the person that went on it, made any sort of significant effect to better or worsen the effect of what was already happening, I guess. Mm. So it was a cool experience, maybe. I don't know. Which kind of sucks to look back on and think like, oh, yeah, it was a cool experience.
0: I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel very emotional about this right now. But I do think that missionary work was a big part of me deconstructing faith uh, because – I got to see how so many different cultures did practice Christianity, and it opened my mind to the idea that there's more than one way to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. And that was really valuable to me and I think is a big part of why I still claim the word Christian mm-hmm. around my identity. And so in that sense, it, it, it showed me some really, really gross and disturbing forms of Christianity where people were yelled at about how they were going to go to hell. It also showed me really beautiful integrations of Christianity into cultures. It showed me ways that people practiced that were so different from what I was used to. And I think it expanded my mind in that sense. Uh, And so in that sense, I don't regret because of, again, my personal benefit. Uh, Mm. I think about – the the months that I was on the mission field where we were doing things that were more evangelistic, because uh, there were months where I was actually using my actual skills and degree mm-hmm. there. I have a photography degree. I had experience in video and photo, and I got to, like, create marketing materials for small businesses like mm-hmm. i thought I think that could have been valuable to them. But there were months where, like I said, in Indonesia, where we were just dropped off and told, go try to evangelize to people. And um, it makes me think of an experience that I had relatively recently with you, Kelly, where we were evangelized to at a movie theater here. And it um, was so it felt so invasive to me to have this person who I didn't know. Come up to me and attempt to pray for me and talk to me about Jesus and assume so much about who I am. Mm. Uh, it felt like an invasion of, like, privacy. Mm-hmm. It felt, like, um, so disingenuine, disgenuous. It, it felt like an entitlement to my experience. Yes. And to, like, a very vulnerable piece of who I am. Yep. And... There was also a part of me that was indignant where I was like, I was literally at church before this Mm -hmm. movie. (laughs) And he doesn't even know this because Mm -hmm. there was no attempt to even know me. Mm -hmm. It was, I need to tell you about Jesus. And I do get emotional thinking about how I could have made other people feel that way. Mm -hmm. And so that is one of the other things that I regret when it comes to being a missionary is the idea that I made people feel the way that I felt that day. Mm. That is just small degree of that. Um, I think that there's so much else that goes into how people could have felt when I evangelized to them. Like, for example, the power dynamics we've talked about as I am coming to them as a college educated white American uh, to speak to people who were often um, illiterate or unhoused um or like severely impoverished and I'm coming to them to give them this good news uh when I have such a big like socioeconomic privilege over them and that is undeniable Mm -hmm. uh not that they're lesser humans than I am but I have this this excess that they don't Mm -hmm. and I think that that factors into it and I was asked um, earlier this year, while with some people that I did the world race with, um, if I would, what I would change if I did it again. And everyone in the group answered this question. And when it came to me, I said, I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I just wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And they were, I think, a little shocked by that, but they pried more. And they're like, well, if you had to do it again, what would you do? And my answer was, I wouldn't evangelize. Mm. I would partner with locals and ask them what they actually needed. I would bring people that had skills that fell into what they needed if I had to do this, but I wouldn't do it. So there's a lot of strong feelings around that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that, yeah, at this point, there's things I regret and there's things I don't regret. Um, There's things that I would have done differently For sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm glad that doing it helped form me into who I am now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I
1: mean, I think at the end of the day, we can all walk away with that. Like, hey, I learned, (laughs) you know, I, I regret betraying myself with every red flag that I walked by and ignored. Yeah. Um, Because there were many and I had many opportunities to go. Hmm. Maybe this isn't adding up. Yeah. And I self gaslighted. I not without a lot of uh, tears and anger. But um, I think I think I look back and and I regret what I subjected myself to. Mm-hmm. Um. And I regret enabling or being a piece of enabling an organization that. Has done that to other people, and to me is perpetuating further harm mm. in other cultures and other places, and and yeah, promoting that sort of invasive supremacist point of view. <laughs> There's yeah, it's yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't do it again. I wouldn't. Yeah,
0: yeah. actually, <sighs> not to go on a whole other rabbit trail, which we are not going to go down. <laughs> uh, one thing that I just want to call out because it's something that I'm still processing it's something that um, was very prevalent and I'm I wonder if it was prevalent on y'all's mission work as well is how it was also very very homophobic because there were multiple people within my missions group on the world race who had quote unquote struggled with same sex attraction Mm. and I think The way that our missions organization treated them, the way that they gaslit them, the way that they told them that they needed to turn away from their sexual desires, the way that they needed to suppress themselves and who they were in order to be missionaries. That is a whole other thing. And I will say, as we're talking about things that we regret, I regret not speaking up for those people. Like, I regret that. I had I watched harm being done to my teammates who mm. were gay, mm-hmm. and I did nothing.
1: Mm. And
0: so that's that's another piece of regret that I'm still processing as I've kind of re- remembered yeah. all of these things. Mm. Is that. There's also a lot of assimilation that you have to fall into as a missionary in order to be a quote-unquote effective missionary in order to fall into line with the missions organization or church that you're with. Mm -hmm. And even though I was in a fairly sort of inclusive missions organization in that we were interdenominational, there was still a a, a fairly strict – there was a strict sexual ethic Mm -hmm. and there was a very strict – Strictly homophobic ethic Mm -hmm. that was popularized and very vocally spoken about. Like we had seminars on Mm -hmm. how to evangelize to gay people. Mm -hmm. And that's something else that I definitely regret looking back on it. Mm -hmm. As I wish that I had advocated for people and Mm -hmm. I wish that I had cared.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I resonate with that. I, I mean, we didn't we weren't as straightforward and outspoken about it in that way but there definitely was the expectation of like you're definitely straight if you are traveling to represent Bethel if you're Mm -hmm. representing the quote-unquote house you are definitely sexually pure like there were there were all these implications but I will say like similar to both of you I regret not using my voice and not speaking up like I allowed myself to be subjected to Mistreatment. I allowed others to be subjected to mistreatment, and I didn't do anything about it. I was just like, this is it. So I think that is a portion of, like, quote-unquote regret. But also I'm like, I didn't know how to advocate for myself. Yeah. I didn't know how to advocate for other people at the time. And I'm, like, looking back, I'm like, I was literally, like, 19 <laughs> –
0: yeah, the ethics like, of throwing these very young people into these situations is a whole other hairy yeah. discussion.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I mean, yes, at 19 you're a grown up, but you're still a kid. Like, you don't know
0: shit. Your prefrontal cortex isn't developed. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, And so, and that's not to, like, excuse it. Like, it's not like, oh, it doesn't matter. It definitely matters, but it's also, like, just a factor that
1: contributes to it. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I find it hard these days to like even donate to things because mm-hmm. I feel, which is not the answer. <laughs> like, I don't think the answer is passivity. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that it is. I feel so much weight and pressure to think critically about where my money goes mm-hmm. and to think critically about how I think about helping people. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, it just doesn't
0: feel right mm-hmm. in so many cases. Yeah. Yeah. I do think in a sense that's a good a good pressure to have. The idea that you should like in the past I think there was little to no critical thinking when it came to just donating to mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. and then now I I get the the inclination to like just swing to well everyone is I'm skeptical of every organization mm-hmm. that is claiming to do anything good, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. And there are even secular organizations that abuse that, yep. mm-hmm. and so it's it's understandable. I'd yeah. say, yeah, and, and just like it's not just the abuse that is perpetuated by
1: said nonprofit, but the abuse that people who work for nonprofits mm-hmm. undergo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't like the idea of enabling people to take advantage of people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I feel like nonprofits have a horrible track record for. Having terrible, terrible treatment of staff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it is it's hard for me to to figure out ways to to even engage in anything remotely related to humanitarian aid or missions or support or whatever I'm volunteering. like I just it I have such a bad taste in my mouth of like how or, organizations like that operate. Um. yeah yeah which is not necessarily the right answer I'm not saying we don't help people but
2: mm. I don't know if there is a right answer though ah. like as we've talked about like it's so gray and nuanced and there's so many different perspectives and like like fr- you can't copy and paste the same approach to each organization right they're all different like it's very yeah. different donating to a missionary than it is to a fund that's directly helping children that have been misplaced because of blah 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 that's based in that local country right that's so different i think and so it's all complicated
0: as i keep saying yeah well ladies thank you so much for bearing your hearts to us here today absolutely i know that this is a heavy one this is we There's so much to unpack when it comes to missionary work. There's so much complexity, nuance, guilt, shame, regrets, and also positivity Mm -hmm. that came out of it. Yeah. And woman beings, we would love to hear from Mm y'all if you have any missionary stories that you want to share, any experiences that you've had where you resonate with the things we're talking about or something that we didn't even address. Tell us about it. We want to hear, this is a safe space to share. I think that I often feel fearful of even admitting that I did missionary work a lot of the time because there is so much stigma. There is so much regret. Uh, and I don't want to be perceived in that way. Mm-hmm. and uh, Positively
1: or negatively. Yeah. You know?
0: and, and so... Uh, We would love to hear from y'all. If these are the kinds of things you want us to talk about, then uh, just make sure that you're still subscribed because we talk about all these kinds of things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All things deconstruction and post-evangelicalism mess. So um, we are here for y'all. Make sure that you also give us a review. We are on all places where pods are (laughs) cast. And um, you can also catch us on Instagram and TikTok. With all that being said, woman beings, Kelly, Kellyanne. And Emma. Oh. (laughs) We will catch y'all next month. (laughs) Bye.